Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is DJ. This is Ish. And this is Pero Pero Let Me me Tell You. Dale. That sounds like the name of a hotel. Cabarondo. The Cabarondo. Oh, no. It's a place you go to have really good tortellini. I guess. So, like, well, where, where do you want to go Friday? Let's go to the Cabarondo. The Cabarondo. Yeah. Grabando. And that came from Grabando. <laughs> anyway, bueno. Episode 34. Episode 34. 34. I know. I feel like I haven't seen you in about a day and a half because that's how long it's been. Yeah. But, you know, for better or for worse, <laughs> you, you got me, see, babe. You and I see each other more than most marriages. That is true. And that's a good thing <laughs> that's a because good neither thing. of us are ugly. Oh, thank God. We wouldn't be doing this. You know, I don't have ugly friends. <laughs> no. <laughs> Everyone, welcome to episode 34, Aquí yes. Estamos, and um, we have, um, I would say a full-packed episode, but uh, we have a very important interview It's a heavy today. episode. It it's is a heavy, a heavy It's it, it, actually heavier than usual. Yes, and not because we spent the weekend eating cake. It's because of actual content matter. Um, today's episode, we, you know, we'll be talking some current events, but we interview Shannon Martinez from the Free Radicals Project, which is an organization that's working to actively um, basically reform extremists, um, whether they be white nationalists, supremacists, Nazis, etc., um, and she talks about her life as well as uh, the work that she does with this organization and how, you know, you can keep an eye on on things and make sure that if there's somebody who you think might need their services, you can kind of figure out how to navigate and, and, those waters. I mean, generally... And I didn't even do it justice with that description, quite honestly. I mean, generally, our, our interviews and our guests are a little bit more focused on either cultural aspects like, you know, mm-hmm. art, um, you know, or Miami-based or right. Hispanic-based. But this, I felt, was like a very 
important interview, yes. especially in today's time. Yeah, and it, it's funny because we actually did this interview a couple of weeks back, and it hasn't lost any of its relevancy. No, I no, no. I mean, probably gained. I, I think that for the time we live in, it's it's very important. So, yeah. um, which sucks for the times we live in, but it's great for the fact that we can still broadcast it. <laughs> so, our interview with Shannon it will be coming up a little bit later in yep. the show. But as usual, we're going to start off with some hot topics. And yes, we got the one hot topic. What is hotter? Than Brett Kavanaugh. J Lo on the beach. True. Okay. But J Lo on the beach, even when she gets like two million likes on a selfie right. and her Instagram, doesn't get as much media coverage as this whole Brett Kavanaugh um, debacle is going on. That's as true. you guys probably know, Brett Kavanaugh is a Supreme Court justice pick for He's the nominee. From, Nominee for the Donald Trump administration, and um, he was going to be confirmed, but then these allegations of sexual misconduct or sexual right. abuse have come Which, up. Which, as of this recording, I think there's three. There are three. Currently? And the latest one that came out is by a lady called Julie Sweetnick, and her allegations are quite damning. I haven't heard them, to be honest. So let, let's review a little bit of what all quick, three allegations. Quick so here. the first allegation that came out was by um, Dr. Christine uh, Blasey Ford. And mm -hmm. basically what she was saying was that when they were in high school... Um, they were know, at she, a party. She partied a lot with him. and Well, she went to a lot of parties where he, he was and at. his friends were at. Mm -hmm. And there was a specific incident where apparently he may have been drunk, where they... She alleges... She alleges they were fooling around. He got on top of her and kind of groped her inappropriately. Well, groping is inappropriate. <laughs> well, sometimes um, I kind of like. Uh, he groped her, and you know, as such, right. you know, he he did. She was something. able to get away from the room, according to her story. Right. So, um, so that's certainly if that those allegations are true. That's certainly. Right is sexual misconduct. Um, the second allegation is from Deborah Ramirez, and she says that during her time at Yale, um, he exposed himself to her. Uh, her allegations are a little bit shaky because she doesn't directly remember him. Is this the one that Ronan Farrow and someone else were reporting on, but they're kind of being criticized for their lack of being able to corroborate Details. Well, Ronan Farrow, I think it was with the first one. With no, no, but but I've heard recently that her. That I, I'm not sure Ronan Farrow also met her, but okay. actually, that's where I was going. It's very iffy. Like she thinks it was him because she heard somebody say that it was it was him that mm -hmm. he exposed himself right. to her, but she doesn't actually remember because she was intoxicated. She knows that he was there. It's it's very, very fuzzy. Very fuzzy. But now the third one that came out is, uh, as I said, by Julie Sweetnick, um, and it came out via an affidavit. Mm -hmm. She says that, um, I forget if it was when he was in high school or in college, but it was certainly in the early 80s, that um, there was an instance where... She was drugged, mm -hmm. and she was intoxicated, and she was gang raped. Okay. Now, she says that he did not rape her, that he was not part of those men that raped her, but that he was in the room. Just standing there? Again, I'm... Either I, I, just I'm, standing I'm, I'm, there or somewhere close in the vicinity. Okay. Now, 
My only problem with her coming out is that this affidavit was introduced by Michael Avenatti, who Michael Avenatti no, is the is. attorney for Stormy Daniels. Ugh. Now, I don't have a problem with Stormy Daniels. I don't have a problem with what... I have an issue with people trying to make Stormy Daniels out to be a victim. I have an issue with people trying to make her... I don't. I, I do believe she's a victim. Mm. I don't think she's a hero. Well, there we go. That's what I'm saying. Like... Alguien que la tenga que tener lástima. Because I don't because, think Stormy Daniels well, is... Well, no, no. I do feel bad for her because... No, I don't. I, I, she... I don't know. Because the problem with Stormy Daniels is not so much that she slept with Donald Trump. I mean, I whatever. She slept with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. The problem with Stormy Daniels is that after the fact, she was threatened by one of his people. Okay. And, fair and, enough. But and, what I'm saying is, this is not somebody, to me, on the same levels as, for instance, the women who accused Bill Cosby. No, no, and, they, and people want to draw parallels. But I don't know. But I don't think I don't think they are. And she, I didn't she say she's I said been people. very, she's very articulate in interviews, and she's straight out said that this has increased her business, and that yeah, she knew that it would, and mm-hmm. she doesn't have you know, she's very honest about it. I believe that Michael Avenatti is a total media whore. Um, right. I think he's doing this for a greater purpose in terms to a self-serving. No, way. I was going to say greater I, purpose. I, no, I, I don't think that he. Is really this There's advocate no greater good. Uh, of I, I, you know, like a Ronan Farrow. Ronan right. Farrow, I really do believe, is doing this for the greater good and and for. So you'd say he's a little more Gloria Alred than Ronan Farrow. Uh, uh, Michael Avenatti, totally, totally. Right. In fact, Michael Avenatti has said that he wants to run for president. That he's thinking about running for president. Oh, good for him. I mean, and uh, I mean, this doesn't take away. From this but it, woman, but it, but it just it for me. It's a bad taste. In your I, I mean, I've been following this like many people from mm-hmm. the beginning. It just, I don't know anything that I feel that he brings in. I mean, with the Stormy Daniels interview thing, Such he had he had made, made like three hundred media appearances. Just on the view alone, just on the view alone, he's been like three times on the view talking about the same thing. Just on that one show. So, but let's take it back again to the Brett Kavanaugh thing. So, you know, these women are coming out saying these things about him. None of them directly allege that he raped her. Um, They all say that he, you know, one that he groped her, one that he may have exposed, but we weren't. One, another one that he was in the room when she was raped. But none of the allegations are that he directly raped her. These allegations were over. 30, close to 40 years right. ago. The ones of Dr. Ford, especially, you know, high they're, they're in, right. in high school, and, and with that whole argument, they're looking at his yearbook and quotes in the yearbook. Right. So, my question to you is obviously, this man, whether you agree with his position as a judge or not, right. but this man went on to have a very distinguished legal career. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, if, you, if you're a Supreme Court nominee for anyone, You've had a very distinguished career. So he went on to be very successful and obviously very good at what he does. Again, whether you agree with him or not. So my question to you is, do you think that something that some shady business he was involved in close to 40 years ago, Mm -hmm. some of it even during high school, do you think that that's something that should come and haunt him now that as a 50-some-year-old man, an established professional... um, can cost him his career, in, in, in essence. Okay, so let's further, right. you know, throw the talking point at you. This wasn't a situation like a Harvey Weinstein where he was using his power correct, as an executive correct, correct. to manipulate women to do whatever right, 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 right. he right. wanted. Right. I mean, he was this jock or this high school kid. 
he was a popular kid in school or whatever at most and that's kind of where i'm going i guess we'll start with the second one the 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 the, the lady who says you know he may or may not have exposed mm-hmm. himself to her my stance on that is to me it's not that i don't think she's credible number one by her own admission she doesn't know if it was or it wasn't him she thinks it might be it could have been but i'm gonna lump that one in with stupid teenage quote-unquote behavior of like when you moon someone or you know or you do something is it inappropriate is it stupid yes but is it something that you know when you're 52 years old somebody should be able to come back and be like oh well you're not qualified for this because as a teenager you know you moon somebody or you took your dick out and you know wagged it around running around in in the, the lunch yard or whatever you know what i mean is it inappropriate absolutely but is it quote unquote stupid kid shit Absolutely, because we're talking about at a point in time where you don't have the mental facility to to say this is quote unquote inappropriate on an adult level. That's why we're not adults until we're eighteen. Right. Now, with <laughs> the first lady, uh, the, not Melania, um, Christine, Doctor uh, uh, Christine Blasley Ford, Doctor Blasley Ford. I, yes. Okay, I got that right. Yay. With hers, I'm a little more, you know. Again, it was a. Di- I could stay here. It was a different time. It was the '80s. We weren't as "quote unquote" woke, even though I fucking hate that term. Um, I think he was like. I, I think he was under age. He was in high school, so he was probably so under age. At most, he was eighteen. Yeah, if he was in high school, right? Um, you know, it could have been a situation of somebody, you know, trying to go a little further than first base and not mm-hmm. taking no for the answer and what have you. And fair enough. That doesn't necessarily make make you a predator, right? I don't, I don't believe that, you know, um, by my own admission, I've been out on dates, you know, and I've been in situations where, you know, you start out kissing and you, your hand goes a little further Man, down. How many, and how many eight to, movies from the 80s a guy is like... The, in, the entire 80s, you know, yeah. cinema is based yeah. on that. And so whether it's right or wrong is beside the point. But what I'm saying is we're all guilty of it. So it doesn't mean we should all, and I, I use the all in the royal we mm-hmm. term. The third one... Um, oh god, I'm, I'm blanking. Oh, Julie what she Sweden. was saying is that he was in the room. Again, so he. I, so again, in other words, he was part. He was I present. Guess, present, but I guess the bigger message or the the bigger picture that she would allege by that, or an argument that you could make, is that at that guilty time, by association, he was into that whole kind of voyeur, fr- a frat boy rape culture kind of sort of. It could be, which we know does exist. It does exist, and it could be. However, what could again? I'm not this guy's primo. I'm not, you know, trying to make... But you also never know how you're going to react in certain situations. And what if this is a guy who just genuinely froze right. in that situation? So let me ask you this. Again, though. I'm not making excuses for him, but I'm just saying... Let me ask you this. And you're making good points. Do you think that because the nom- this is a nomination for a Supreme Court justice, so, I mean, this is a lifelong position mm-hmm. you're pretty much shaping policy that's going to affect every single american every single person in the right. country um do you think that the the people that are subject uh to this nomination should be held held at a higher scrutiny than there's everybody higher, else th- there's higher scrutiny and then there's you know dredging to see what you can find do i think that these people's allegations should be heard absolutely do i think it's something that should be made aware yes but, you know, the same way, I mean, are we going to judge Ruth Bader, you know, Ginsburg because in 1912 she showed an ankle? 
I mean... <laughs> and, okay, I'm, I'm going to throw another I mean, curveball at you. Do you think that if this would have happened five years ago, it would have been as a big a bigger issue than now no. in the Me Too movement? No, because we've got the Me Too and the Times. Because, out. obviously, they're they're doing a lot of parallels it, it, to Anita Baker in 1990. Anita Baker. Anita Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Anita Hill in, in 1991. Yes, you we know, the where we were when Anita Baker was... <laughs> It was, was on Capitol Hill. Um, you know, to Anita Hill in 1991. Yeah. So they're running a lot of parallels with that because, you know, a criticism of that was that the panel was an all-white male panel. And they, mm-hmm. you know, the, the very famous, um, you know, question was, I forgot who it was that asked her, that he said, are you a woman scorned? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of totally putting the blame on her, which is so wrong, right? Sh- shitting on her that it's like this is, a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a scorned just woman, pissed. Right? right? I'm an angry black woman, so right. here I am, you know, Jeopard, you know, and, and you know, Hill was right. a very distinguished, very uh, accomplished but regardless, but woman regardless, as well. That's, that's so, irrelevant. Um, yeah, so they're they're running a lot of parallels to that. But so. the biggest distinction is that when Clarence Thomas did what he was accused of doing, he was an adult. We're not talking about a 16-year-old. Right. We were talking about a man in his 30s. Right. Who also, to your earlier point, had a degree of power that he could wield over someone right. else. So, I'm very conflicted about this issue. I think this issue is very multi-layered. Yeah, what do you I, think? I, I, mean, I think, well, first of all, I think that all these women need to be heard. Whether it's one, two, three, or 50 of them. I think they all need to be heard. I am... I believe there should be an FBI investigation for both of them. I think that for both of them. Because mm-hmm. if I was him, and, and and I'm not a fan of Brett Kavanaugh. I, I don't want him on the Supreme <laughs> but, Court. But to quote but the to legend quote, of Billie Jean. Fair is fair. fair. You know, you're also right. not going to ruin a man's career, you know, even if I don't agree with his politics, which I do not. And, well, not politics, but his leanings right. in terms of his court decisions. Mm-hmm. Um I, I'm, you know, I don't think somebody should be dismissed because of that. But anyway, um, I, I think there should be an FBI investigation, and I think that all sides need to be heard. Because if I was him, I would want my name clear. If, if I really did not do this, I want you to clear my I, name. I want you to uh, prove yeah, it. Right, Show exactly. them because I know I didn't do anything. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And if I was the woman, you know. An FBI uh, right. investigation should uncover what needs to be uncovered. Right. You know, also these, it's very complicated because again, I, I, I it, in this whole Me Too era, my bias is always going to be in favor of the women. I mean, we don't have Everything to get into, we we've spoken into mm-hmm. about it in this. We know how difficult that was for women to be believed and, and hurt. You're just hurt. Right. So my bias is always in favor of the woman. But in this particular case, there's not like a smoking gun. I was here at this place, and I remember that he raped me. Or I remember that he There's did also, this. to draw parallels to Bill Cosby, who this week was also sentenced to, to time in jail for, for, his, uh, for his rape and sexual assault. There's no pattern. Ultimately, it's not as if in each and every one of these instances, he did the exact same actions. So again, I, I don't know the guy, um, but it doesn't seem to me like the escalating behavior of a sexual predator. I, I don't think anybody's making the argument that he's a sexual predator. You know, but, but I think that's where most people want to. Right, but the to. whole problem is that this has become political, right? Because that's yeah. what I was going to say. Whereas all these other cases are not political, this has become political. Because you have Republicans who are saying, we don't need to listen to what she has to say. He's getting confirmed. Right. And then you have Democrats that are like, Kavanaugh needs to shut up 
and let the women speak you know right. and you know he needs to sh go away and it's like no you need a fair process i am for one i believe that it should be the route of the fbi right like let said. them yeah, yeah. they're the federal bureau of investigations let them investigate and if they find out that this guy is a prick and he did these things then so be it and if they you know and obviously that will take care of his nomination right, right, right. but but I, i i say this also for these people who are don't like him and want to bring him down i mean what do you think that let's say that his nomination is pulled right Do you think that Donald Trump is going to then put in, you know, the next nominee is going to be a progressive? I mean, it's probably going to be somebody who's even more conservative than he is. So it's it's not it it's it's not like okay, we're going to get rid of this guy because then the next guy they're going to put in is going right. to be our guy. No. So I I just think it's very complicated. It's gotten, you know, you want to hear these women, you you know, you you want to give them the benefit of Well, you want to give him the benefit of the doubt too because Again, because we're, there's no smoking gun here, mm -hmm. uh, it, it makes it a little bit. I also think a big part. I know I don't want to. I don't want to fall into the boys will be boys situation, but we. But age, in this situation, has to factor somehow. Well, because we I, we, I, we shouldn't be held. I will say this. I don't want to say account. I don't know how to I will phrase say it. This. But do you know what I'm trying to and, say? And I don't. And again, I'm not a fan of his. And I I believe that if the FBI finds that he did this. I, I don't think he should stay as a nominee because, again, you can make Even the if, argument that it was 40 years ago, he was being a dumb kid, but you're talking about being a Supreme Court justice. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, that is beyond. I mean, these people are more important than the president. You know, that that's... It's a lifelong appointment. Yes. So, I mean, these people have to be held to the highest, highest of standards. With that said... I really have a problem with, not only in this case or in any case, where now they're digging up his high school yearbook. Right. Because, I mean, come on. I mean, are, are we going to get to a society, and, and, and I think that that's a question for society uh, as yeah. collectively to answer, are we going to get to a point where what we said in high school is going to be held against us? 30, 40 years later, because I could tell you, and you were there, as editor-in-chief of the yearbook, you know, we made up shit all the time in the yearbook. We couldn't get a picture by the deadline. We would put Fulana's picture and make up a quote. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, it's just what it was. You know, right. we had to, you know, working deadlines and all that stuff. Right, right. So a yearbook is not the most, while it's very important as an <laughs> ex-editor of the yearbook, um, it, it's not the place that you want to go and quote people on the record. Right? right, right. You know, you don't want to. That's not like a deposition record or a testimony. So, I mean, are we really going to start? Are we there that we're digging up what people said in a yearbook uh, yeah. when they were in high school? Like, it's a very complicated case, and it it's is. become political, and it's become a shit show, just like everything else having to do with politics, politics. nowadays. And both sides, both sides. I have to say, both sides here are being really. Bad boys and girls. Well, I don't disagree with you, but I will say one of the most important things to take away from this, I think, ultimately to your point of is everything we do in high school going to be held against us, is that sometimes people do change. And I think one of the what best indicators. Segue. Wow. <laughs> one of the best uh, indicators of that is our next guest, uh, Shannon Martinez, as we said, with the Free Radicals Project, who really spearheads an organization that aims to help people get out of those situations in which. You know, they were partaking in this extremist behavior 
and want to change their life. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it, we're going to have a great conversation with her. I mean, this is a pretty heavy subject, as we said at the beginning of the show. But, you know, uh, sometimes these heavy subjects are important. So um, coming up next is our interview with Shannon Martinez of the Free Radicals Project. Listeners, welcome back. So we are here today with Shannon Martinez from the Free Radicals Project, a um, an organization that is actually fantastically, I think, revolutionary in it, in its approach to essentially um, fighting, you know, this this tide of extremism that we're seeing and really doing it through the digital age, which I think is something that you know you, you really have to understand what's going on in order to be able to do that. So, um, and in this day and age, with everything going on, we need people like her more than ever. So um, Shannon, welcome to Pero Let Me Tell You. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to talk a little bit um, at first, I guess, about just the, the Free Radicals project and really get an understanding of what it is. Now, it is an organization that was founded by a former, um, I guess, I'm going to use the word extremist, but I don't know what the jargon is exactly, so feel free to correct me at any time, um, who had been going through that, I guess, sup- white supremacist, alt-right type of yes, lifestyle. Yes, we were all... We were uh, both Christian Picciolini and I were both uh, neo-Nazi white supremacist skinheads. Oh, wow. Um, we actually knew each other. Uh, there are pictures out there of us uh, back when we were back when we were in the movement. We've both been disengaged for well over 20 years now. And a few years ago, our paths circled back around. And he was like, hey, we're doing this stuff, like helping people disengage from violent extremism. Do you want to help us? I was like, heck yeah, I want to do that. That sounds fantastic. And so now here we are in our present iteration as the Free Radicals Project. So tell us a little bit exactly, you know, um, you use the term disengage a lot. And I think that's a perfect term for this. Explain to us a little bit exactly what you guys do and and how you do it. Um, A lot of it depends on how particular people... Uh, come to us. One of the one of my passions, one of my main focuses, is on developing preventative uh, programming. Um, and you know, the easiest way to fight violent based lifestyles is to keep people from getting into them in the first place. So that's mm-hmm. part of what we do. The one of the other things that we do is the intervention and disengagement part of it. A lot of times when people are like really in the throes of some sort of violence-based lifestyle, um, and by that, I mean, um, you know, far right-wing, far left-wing gangs, um, that the the ideology isn't as important as it really being, as somebody is looking to violence as the answer for their problem. I think that's interesting that you made the point, you know, it's it, it doesn't have a direction, shall we say? It's not right, it's not left, it's extremist in its in its purest form wherever that direction takes. Well, and even more specifically, it's violence-based extremism. Um, because there are plenty of ways to be radical and there's plenty of ways to be an extremist that are not where people are not looking as part of that experience to violence right. as part of what their belief system is. And so when people, a lot of times people will uh, reach out on behalf of someone else that they might say, my son, my daughter, my, um, you know, whoever they're involved in this and I see this stuff, what do I do? Um, And so, you know, so we just begin a dialogue and if they feel like that, that person is ready to potentially have a conversation with us, we'll do that. And, um, 
uh, most of what you do at first um, is just build trust with somebody. That what we have found is that uh, the stories of former violence-based extremists are eerily similar, no matter what their ideology is, that um, the details are different, but how everybody has gotten there is really similar. That um, we were all looking for some sort of, like, we wanted to feel like we belonged, that we needed some sort of surrogate family or a sense of belonging. We were looking for an an identity. We were looking for a way to define ourselves that however, you know, however we felt in sort of mainstream life, we didn't feel like we belonged there. We didn't relate with the identities that, that we were allowed to have. Um, and then we were also all looking for a purpose. Like we were all looking for some sort of actionable thing to feel like we were part of. Yeah. On top of that, there's also almost always some kind of trauma or violent uh, sort of tripwire somewhere in the shuffled into the story. Sometimes people don't know that that's part of their story yet. Part of my story is that I lost my virginity, but being raped by two men, they were white men, um, mm -hmm. raped, raped by two men at a party when I was a couple weeks shy of 15 years old. If you had asked me, I don't know that I would have been able to say that, that I was right because the story I told myself was simply that I lost my virginity to two men at a party. Um, and that was kind of like a protective mechanism for myself because right. I didn't have anyone that I could tell who would empathize or sympathize with me. I would have been in trouble for being at a party rather than like, oh my gosh, my baby girl just was sexually assaulted. And it took me until the birth of my oldest son almost 10 years later for that realization to come sort of crashing down. Sometimes people don't know that violence or trauma is part of their story yet while they're still in the midst of all of these destructive choices. So, so when uh -huh. reaching out, you have to build some trust and start looking for a Christian dubbed the term potholes. That's exactly so what I was going to mention. The potholes. <laughs> mm -hmm. You start looking for those that as they're talking, you kind of like, try to make the connections with you know in their story like okay well you know let me listen beyond just the words for the story behind the story so something like you know with what you're saying and in, in your experience you know uh, because i've seen several interviews with uh christian uh, picciolini um and he yeah he refers to potholes so in your case one of your potholes was the sexual assault Yes. That sent and me also, down that route. Yes. Yes. And then I also, I felt like a black sheep in my family. Like I did not feel like I belonged. We moved when I was 11. We like moved across country and I had trouble fitting in. And um, I had played a bunch of sports and slowly um, circumstances came up where I didn't play sports anymore. So there were all these, you know, that th these were sort of, you know, for me, these were my potholes. Right. But, so if somebody were talking to me and they were like, well, tell me about, you know, what's your life or whatever, you know, that, that, that if, if you know what you're listening for, you will end up hearing those kinds of things. But I think that's interesting. I mean, you say, you know, if you know what you're listening for um, and, and you mentioned, you know, all that disconnected. I mean, I think a lot of obviously with certain exceptions of certain things you've mentioned, 
you know, you're kind of describing the quote unquote average teenager. You know, most teenagers feel disconnected. Most teenagers feel like they don't belong. They they feel outside of, you know, oh, my family doesn't understand me, etc. What would you say are some of the the, the, the I don't want to say warning signs because I don't know if that's the proper you know way to put it but you know some of the differentiators between what would be considered quote unquote you know your traditional average teenage rebellion versus you know starting to go down the, the this path of violent you know extremism and, and violent lifestyle I don't that's know if it's a, a one fan- size fits all but <laughs> it's a fantastic question because it's it's kind of like the million dollar question it's like is there a predictor um, <laughs> for people becoming violent based extremists, you know, um, and obviously not yet, but, um, some of the things that we can look for, because this is what I would, this is something that I feel very passionate about that. I think we train and teach our children what to do. Um, if there's a fire or if there's an earthquake or if there's, you know, a tornado or what to do when, you know, strangers approach them or whatever. So why don't we just talk starkly about how people are recruited and how people end up in radical extremist movements? Why don't we just teach them what to do and train them in resiliency? So one of the things that's going to happen that you're going to look for, um, you know, if you're like, Oh, here's, here are these people. And wow. It is kind of an indicator if um, people are looking outside the norm for identity. So all of the counterculture movements that are there, whether it's punk rock, like a lot of us came through like punk rock or the metal scene or whatever, or there's also, you know, there's there's also uh, sports and stuff like that, that if you have this really strong identity as, you know, a member or a fan of a particular team or whatever, that you've chosen sort of this like, identity that is not part necessarily part of just kind of like, hey, I go to this school or I'm part of this community or whatever. So anytime that you're finding somebody have having and developing a single focus. Like that fanaticism? Um yes, but it probably for most people it probably won't look like that at first. Okay. A lot of um a lot of my working current working theory right now is that because trauma is part of I I feel very confident in trauma of some kind, whether it's personal, like in my case, or collective, like terrorism or war or, you know, uh, racism or extreme privilege or extreme poverty or in, you know, whatever it is, disenfranchisement, that part of the emerging science about how the brain responds to trauma is that um, it favors simplistic solutions and simplistic living. So it favors sort of like unidimensional thought because then your brain doesn't have to do the work of sorting information. If you're just like this thing, I wake up and I, you know, and I listen to this music and this is who I am and this is my identity. And this is, you know, that you don't have to kind of sort through the differing, uh, the differing priorities that come, you know, for, for people who are leading healthy, well-adjusted lives that, you know, it's like different things have different amounts of importance given the circumstances. Right. For people whose brains have experienced trauma, that it's very difficult for their brains to, to sort that out. Um, and so when, if you notice someone in your life and it's like they start that it's the only thing they talk about. Mm-hmm. And if they, you know, even and if they get hyper political and that's not, an, that's not necessarily like that's the tripping point or whatever. It's something to watch. 
you know, that it's like, okay, this person went from talking about all kinds of stuff to now they only talk about this segment of politics. And that's our only interaction. And no matter what we're doing, they bring it back to here. Definitely, that's somebody to keep an eye on. If they, and whatever that is, whether it's any kind of like, it could even be good stuff, you know, things that we dub as good, but those are people definitely to keep an eye on and then maybe try to engage them in community building activities, um, you know, things where they can participate in positive ways. Christian and I actually differ on this a little bit because he, his story is that he feels like if somebody had come along and said to him, hey, why don't we go build houses for impoverished people in Guatemala? He would have been like, okay, that sounds awesome. Let's go do that. But for me, I was so rage filled that violent expression had to be part of where I went. I had to, like, I, I was very drawn to the violence and where, where it was okay for me to rage, that that was something that was very important to me because it was like a release valve. I needed, I needed that beyond just the identity, community, and, and purpose for myself. I needed somewhere where it was okay to be really, really angry because I, because I, I didn't, I couldn't process through any of that. So I needed a place for myself where that was okay. So that would also be an indicator that you would definitely want to probably engage someone with is if you notice like beyond just teenage angst, because, you know, it's like obviously like lots of teenagers are struggling to understand their, their place in the world and who they are and how they fit in and a sense of community. And lots of times there's angst, but this is, you know, what I'm talking about is like when it's, when it trips over to rage, when it's when it's deep seated anger. Now, you said something that um, I thought was really interesting because in your story, obviously, in being the victim of, of, of rape and sexual abuse, you know, you talk about the rage and the anger and then you, you mentioned Christian and something that I, I really was taken aback by um i saw his ted talk and to our listeners out there i urge you to uh look up christian uh picciolini on the ted talks yeah. and he we'll post a, a link on our he on has our a Instagram. fantastic ted talk and i've actually i, I so saw good. it some time ago and what i was really taken back about his particular story was that he came from an immigrant family his parents were italian um, he, yeah. he, he says he grew up in a loving family that they were very hard workers and he knew that his parents loved him, but he felt this, you know, like there came a point in his life that he, he felt disenfranchised, disconnected. And as you said, um, you know, he, he formed or found this avenue in, in extremism. And, and I, and I, what I really found interesting about his story was that that's not the face that you would assume the prototypical of, thought of, of a white supremacist nope. or an extremist because again he came from an immigrant family he came from a loving family because i think in, in maybe in your case and correct me if i'm wrong because yours came from an area of rape and abuse i could it's easier to understand the rage the internal rage that you had in had inside yeah. whereas his he came from a loving family yeah, at first blush, it doesn't yeah. seem like I mean, and your I, typical and I, scenario. Yes. Well, and that's and I also like my parents just celebrated their fiftieth wedding anniversary. Oh, like, congratulations! You know, I grew up. I grew up. <laughs> I have nothing to do with. Hey, but, hey. I did my best to ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> all my all my teenage choices. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but they, um, you know, but it was still, we still had a, a pretty dysfunctional family. But from the outside, it was like we were middle class, upwardly mobile, white Christian Americans. Like nobody would have been like this, this girl's gonna, you know, and I was like, a, I was a star athlete and stuff. Nobody was going to be like, hey, this girl is definitely going to become a Nazi one day. So nobody. nobody what ages, that. In, and, in what ages were you an extremist? Um, from the time I was about 15 and a half wow. until just shy of 20. So from about 15 to 20 for about five years. Those are very formative years. Um, yes. Um, and it's so like, I, and I still like, there's still stuff I'm really bad at. So luckily I have teenage daughters now. So like, I'm like, kids, this, this shirt, like, they're like, no, mom, it looks like curtains. I'm like, because everything, I still want to be like, I just still want to wear, like, Doc Martens. And, like, I don't know. I've never learned how to, like, dress. <laughs> no, One of my see. daughters is, like, really into makeup. And she's like, okay, mom, like, let's go. Like, let's go to, <laughs> let's go to the store. Sephora. Like, now, <laughs> yes. You, yeah. you, you no, and she's like, here, this is how you use highlighter. I'm like, I didn't even know this was a thing. Like, thanks. <laughs> so I can, you know, I can, like, act like quasi-legitimate now. But those were things that I never learned how to do. I don't know how to wear shoes at all i'm just like because i wore doc martens like for right. five years like even after that for you another 10 or whatever better late than never but um <laughs> what, what i was gonna ask you is um you mentioned that the birth of your first child was um very important what what else started your transition and your disengagement from the movement it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Um, for me, um, and again, this is one of those areas for all formers where there's a lot of overlap. The specifics are different, mm -hmm. but all of us end up experiencing love, empathy, compassion, those, that set of emotions. Um, all of us end up being connected in some way with an idea of future, because when you're really in the midst of all of this really, you know, hate-filled ideology, you know, like a lot of what's going on is that you feel personally worthless and valueless. And 
so that, you know, that your all of your identity gets wrapped up and value gets wrapped up in the expression of this hate and this ideology, which is why it's really dangerous, because if you don't value your own life and you only value the ideology that it's like, then you're willing to make huge sacrifices for, you know, huge violence or whatever for your cause. It's how suicide bombers and, and you know, and, and stuff happen. All of us end up being connected with at least some hint and idea of future. Sometimes that's the birth of a child or, you know, whatever. In my case, I ended up being taken in by um, a mom of a guy that I was going out with. She was a single mom and she had three younger sons. And the guy I was going out with was in the army. So he was still in training and wasn't wasn't living at home. Mm-hmm. And she, I needed a place to live. And she was like, well, you can come, you can come stay here. And before it was even a term to pay it forward... Um, a mom had taken her oldest son in when he was struggling a little bit earlier in his teenage years. And she was just like, if I ever have an opportunity to do this for someone, I will. And I was the very, very, very lucky beneficiary of that. She did not. She knew my ideology. She knew what I was. Um, she did not agree with it, but she never confronted me directly with it. She took me into her home with her three younger sons. And was just like, okay, you can live here. You have to help around the house, help me with some projects, try to get a job, you know. And then These are my I don't rules. know, we played, <laughs> yeah, but we played frisbee and went camping and fishing. And I took the boys to Cub Scouts and read them the Chronicles of Narnia before bed. And then she dreamed dreams for me that I had forgotten how to dream for myself. Oh, wow. Like she was what like, a, don't you to go to college. Like, don't you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, maybe. And it was before the internet. So beyond just that, she tangibly connected me with the resources that I needed to start making those things happen. So she like drew me to the library, helped me look up addresses for colleges, drew, found, helped me find out information about taking my SATs, helped me to do that. Like help me, you know, not just like, hey, isn't this thing? She's like, all right, what are the steps and how can I help you? achieve those steps to make these things happen. And so that like, that was enough for me, you know, that, un- that completely undeserved empathy and compassion and somebody who decided that I had worth and value, you know, that I, you know, and so if she was going to look at me that way, it really had to challenge my ideas about my own worth and value. And in turn, that, you know, it's like if I was no longer dehumanizing myself, that I really had to come to terms with how I was dehumanizing and objectifying other people. Um, and that allowed me the space to begin to do that. It would still be, a, I was a mess, a total mess. I was about, I was just shy of 20 at the time. And it would take me at least four years to even come to grips with the fact that I, that I had been raped, like to frame it that way and so then only then to begin to process through the trauma and begin to like heal from that but even after I you know like that still took another probably like 10 years to really even understand that I had like PTSD and you know so it still took a long time just for that real you know for even just that triage in the beginning like it wasn't just like I was taken in by this family and everything's great (laughs) um you know no, no, but it gave me the opportunity to have that space to break my echo chamber. Because in my case, I just live with other skinheads and neo Nazis all the time. So, Shannon, that that's a remarkable story about how you progressed and and the beginning of your transition and from radicalism. And I know that one of the things that the free radicals do is that you're not per se so confrontational 
with the people that come to your organization, but rather you show them that there's another life out there, that there's other things. Talk to us a little bit about exactly when somebody comes to to you guys, how you start this process. Because I imagine it, it's a daunting process to disengage someone and, and kind of show them that everything they believed in is sort of wrong. One of the things that, uh, that, that we do is, is scour the news for people who are um, either have been recently exposed sometimes, you know, on the, the far left that they will do what's known as doxing someone and they will like release all their personal information and stuff. Um, and, uh, whenever possible, we try to get contact information for the individual who's just been doxxed and just shoot them an email, you know, like it can't hurt, right? Just to be like, Hey, there's something else out here. Like if you find yourself and you don't know what to do and you don't know what your next step is, we're here. And there's just this whole extended family of formers here. So we can help you find your way if you, if you choose to reach out. Um, so that's one of the things that we do. Um, another, you know, again, a lot of what we do is that there are concerned families and, you know, and that a lot of times they will facilitate conversations or we try to give some skills and ideas to the family members so that they, so they don't feel so alone so that they have something that they, you know, some tools and skills that they feel like they can utilize and maybe try to find some idea of compassion because it's like, holy cow, you know what, like my kid or, you know, my cousin that I've known my whole life, like is a Nazi. Like, you know, how do you deal with that? Yeah. And what do you do? Like how, like how do I treat them or whatever? Um, you know, and so teaching them about like, hey, like you, you do not have to be like, hey, your ideology is just fine. No, you don't need to do that. Like you say, no, this is not acceptable. But, and I won't talk about that with you. But I love you no matter what beliefs you have or, you know, or whatever. Whatever is appropriate for the situation. But it does not mean that you have got to like not make a big deal about their ideology. It's just, it's not effective. Or you can never argue someone out of what they believe. The internet has shown us this, right. if well, nothing else. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and I'm glad you mentioned the internet because one of the reasons, I know DJ mentioned that he had seen a Christian's TED talk and the like, but the reason you came to my attention is because I, I work in the ad industry and I've seen an article that came out uh, recently, I think it was back in May, was announced you, your organization is working with a multicultural uh, agency, a Hispanic-focused agency called ALMA, and really, you guys are working on a, camp, on a campaign or an initiative that I thought was very fascinating in terms of trying to figure out how people are being recruited using this new technology, you know, using the Internet. So I don't know if maybe you can go into a little bit more about what that partnership and that project is about. Sure. It's so uh, we're partnered with uh, Atma ad agency. Mm-hmm. And basically, if somebody searches enough times for some particular keywords and stuff that their search is then sort of hijacked um, and brought to our site, letting them know like, hey, so, you know, the search, you know, somebody like Dylan Roof, for example, has searched for these same things. And, you know, that searches like yours have led to such and such an outcome. And, you know, it's like if you need help, we're here to get out. There's also some other programs. I also work 
um, for uh, the Against Violence and Extremism Network, which is an umbrella program through the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, which is a London-based think tank. And they have a program that we're, that we do that's called the, it's like the one-on-one initiative. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it uses keywords that they've, you know, because computers are so good at finding patterns, they've actually found keywords. Um, You know, and there's a thing going around on Facebook right now where it's like, you know, with uh, people who are depressed tend to use particular keywords, and not necessarily like negative keywords either, that they've identified. So Facebook is really good at identifying keywords um, and then pegging that and just being like, you know, then there's a one-on-one conversation like, hey, you've used these words, you know, a lot in, in your posting and did you know that, like, are you okay? Like, what you know, just developing a conversation with that person. So, you know, and the unfortunate part about a lot of these programs is that it, it feels like we're always one step behind a lot of the yeah. recruiting tactics, you know? And a lot of it, too, as there's more programs like that, a lot of the real serious stuff goes on on, like, the dark web and proton mail and, like, you know, double encrypted messaging and stuff. And, and you, you know, you mentioned so. recruiting tactics. Can you get a, in, into that a little bit? Like what, what kind of recruiting tactics are being used? Because I think in the past, you know, it was about come to our rally, come to our, you know, organizations meeting place or what have you. And now they don't even have to do that. You know, they can basically come into your home. You know, a, a lot of the tactics that are being used are actually you know, and again, this can be very powerful as we fight against this, that the extreme far right, for example, have really infiltrated and targeted message boards and places where people who self-identify as depressed congregate and look and seek help. Um, they target uh, searches on YouTube, again, sort of co-opting the ideas of like, because they know that people who feel alienated and feel alone and feel hopeless that they are going to be the people who um, are possibly the most uh, open to messaging that provides, yeah, yeah, provides some, you know, solution to their perceived problem. There's also an emerging trend that high functioning uh, autistics and people who are um, on the autism spectrum um, are also targeted. Oh, wow. Uh, And I, you know, I never heard As that before. Someone That's who has, I have a stepson who is uh, severely autistic, who's diagnosed as severely autistic, mm-hmm. and then I have at least uh, two of my seven kids um, are on the autism spectrum. Um, that I would, I think that a lot of that tendency is that it's difficult for autistics to understand the intentions that other people have towards them. A lot of times mm. um, and that um, that even though the I the, the sort of prevailing uh, understanding is that that uh, autistics lack empathy um, my experience um, as told to me by the autistics um, and uh, you know people on the spectrum in my life mm-hmm. is that they're hyper they're actually hyper empathetic and um, and that it, a lot of times it gets all bound up and the difficulty is in expressing that outward. And so they're like sort of like hyper empathic and that that can 
actually be really crushing um, and, and to a point where they, you know, where they can feel like they don't have agency. That it's like they feel all these things and they feel everything, but they don't feel like they can do anything about anything. And so if a group comes along and is giving them an opportunity to do something about something and make it sound like it's important and big and they're part of this thing and they'll be treated as equals and they won't be made fun of and, you know, and we've got you and you couple that with not necessarily understanding people's ill intentions towards them, that you can see how that that would be, uh, you know, a very powerful combination for people who are trying to just sort of build, you know, uh, an army of it's a bodies. Perfect storm. Perfect storm of yes. situation. You know, oftentimes when I watch, you know, white supremacists speak on TV or, or on the news, you know, and, and they make these statements against, uh, you know, blacks. Latinos, African-Americans, Jews, whatever. I always question, what is it that you want? Do you want to go back to slave days? Do you want to for immigrants to all leave the country? Like, what, what is the, I guess, goal of a white supremacist? Ironically, there's not even one answer that um, the, the movement is so fractured um, that it doesn't even have one sort of contained identity. Um, and one contain, you know, one, one unique goal. Some people will want to return, you know, they'll want to like a white ethno state. Um, and they'll say, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't hate blacks or, or Hispanics. We just want our own place, which is an inherently white supremacist idea, but in their mind, they can argue that away. Um, I don't think there's uh, a very strong movement to go back to like slave days or whatever. Um, and I think you would probably be hard pressed to get anyone to actually give you a really clear answer on that because basically what they want is a sense of empowerment that if you look at, you know, if you look at this as these are people who feel deeply disempowered, so disempowered in their lives that they have turned to, you know, actively disempowering other people as the only means to feel powerful in their life, that that's really all they want. So something else that, I mean, we can't have this conversation without touching base, touching upon this is the data that shows that, you know, these extremist groups have, I think doubled or drastically increased Mm -hmm. in the last 10 years. I, I mean, how is this happening? Why is this happening? Um, some of it is definitely the emergence uh, um, of access to the Internet and the way that it's used. Um, some of those numbers are potentially misleading um, because of what it means to be a member. That um, it, the buy-in, so to speak, is much less in an online community. It's very easy to, like, become part of it. Whereas like when, when I I and Christian, when we were, when we were involved, it was like, you had to like physically go be with your crew and you would have to fight and, you know, and do all that. So the buy-in is a lot easier for people to identify with. However, you can just comment on a Reddit thread and be considered part of the group. Yes. Yes. But it, it also means that it's easier for people to get out too. that. It's like, you don't have the, you know, you don't have the same level of ties that you have to break to disengage. So 
it, it's both good and bad. The other thing that I think um, that I would love somebody to do a study about would be an overlay of times of economic downturn or perceived economic downturn. Because I don't know about y'all, but I know in theory, like the recession is over, but very few people I know have economically recovered. Oh, I agree 100%. You know, and the percentage of income going towards healthcare, housing, transportation, and food, the percentage of that has gone up definitely in the last 10 years. And, and like wages have not kept, you know, have not kept pace. So right. despite the fact that people who are wealthy tell us that the, that the recession is done. Um, and I would love to see a study that overlays times of economic downturn or perceived economic downturn with um, an upswing in religious and race-based crimes. Um, because I believe very strongly that there is a correlation not necessarily a causation, but that when people feel like that access to resources is being limited, that they become entrenched in wanting to maintain the access that they already have to resources or to fight for even more access to those resources or to limit access to other people. That a lot of how this, you know, a lot of, of the way that violence based ideologies plays out is is that it's you know that it's a perception of resources is really what we're talking about you know that it's like we really want to be the only ones that get to have power we're really the one the only ones who we want to get to make any decisions we want to get all and keep all of the stuff yeah it's a perception of they if they whoever they is yes. didn't exist i would have more social security i would have more yes. health insurance etc right right yes so um also curious in terms of what your take, if at all, what is your take on the current political climate and the current administration with, again, the the rise or at least the Perceived. people being vocal about extreme extremism? <laughs> <laughs> Did not expect to have to answer this at, uh, at 6, 6.30 on a Tuesday, right? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, today is the day where after, you know, suddenly we're making a U-turn about, you know, violently separating children at the border from their families. Um, and that decision has been reversed. So um, uh, I guess, I don't know, or it just is saying it is or whatever. As of right um, now, it's I, been reversed, whatever that means. I think that, I mean, if you think, I mean, how much have we undergone in the last year and a half? It's just, it feels like lifetimes. It does. Um, that, you know, it's like that the cabinet, when it first, in its first iteration, was filled with people that had really overt racist backgrounds and past. People like Steve Bannon and stuff that... Um, and, I, and I think some of that was really um, solidifying, that it was on purpose to solidify this, um, this particular segment of the population, that um, hopeful people, you know, a hopeful people is a powerful people. A hopeless people are people that are easily, you know, marginalized and manipulated and controlled. And so if you look at a lot of what the administration does as offering hope to a particular or particular segments of the population, it makes a lot more sense that they're trying to mobilize 
their base who people who you know people who are hyper conservative um i hate to even say that because you know it's it's like it seems so far removed from what conservatism actually originally was (laughs) and you know people that are you know that are populist and um willing to vote maybe against their own best interests um, out of fear, people that, you know, those Fox News watchers who treat that as gospel, um, you know, that 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 a lot of the actions of the current administration seem to be aimed at mobilizing that very vocal, willing to believe anything as long as it's negative about the other side, fan base. You think there's an element of, I've got nothing left to lose? or are, Because you said, I mean, it's people who feel hopeless, right? So it's kind of a well, I'm already in this quote-unquote situation. Things suck. So, all right, you seem to be on board with what I'm thinking, and you're probably going to help me out. And you you may even also be offering me hope. That I think what we don't understand, those of us who you know feel like we are way on the other end of the political spectrum, that well, I think part of what we mit- are missing is that for those who support the administration, that they have hope in a way that they haven't felt in touch with in a long time. That Obama's hope to the left um, was, you know, was not the hope to the right, or, or not, not even the right, the people who support the present administration. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I don't want to call everyone who supports Donald Trump an extremist, but no, I, no, I mean, no, no, but I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find, the, I'm trying to find well, the right word. And it's difficult. I don't yeah. know how to say, I'm trying to be charitable. <laughs> so let <laughs> trying me, to give uh, people the benefit of the doubt because, yeah, you know, as that. time goes on to me, I'm like, how can you continue to just, give adulation to this person who seems so, you know, so hell bent on. It's just, it's it's almost like a blind faith to a degree with certain people. And that I think for me specifically is just a little scary, not because it's Trump. I feel like about anybody, you know what I mean? It's like, you can't just go unquestioningly following the Pied Piper. Yes. No. I mean, I personally was not a big Obama fan because I felt like he was a he was in in the pocket of the big banks and all of the drone bombings and like there was a lot of stuff going on. And so, like for me, that was not like oh, this is you know this is right. you know our guy or whatever. I mean, a lot of people loved him and you know, but I, for me, he was way too moderate. Like, but you know, even the 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 kind of um, devotion to Obama seems just nothing compared to <laughs> the the, yeah. the hero worship of Trump that his his ratings have gone up mm-hmm. and I was like how like I don't even understand like I like I don't even understand how those work at this point how that <laughs> yeah like are they just is it just made up I don't like I don't know because so I, I feel I, like I, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different people and like almost no one is like yeah there are a handful of people yeah but so, you know what, given, given your story and how you managed to turn things around and really you were given the opportunity again by just one person making that difference. I know it sounds so cliche and so Pollyanna, but it really does just, it, it makes me feel like, you know what, there is an opportunity for things to turn around. You know, it just takes and one person. And you never know. You never know. Like, you never know. So, like, when you, you, when you really want to be like, what the hell is wrong with you? And then if you can be like, hey. How'd you get there? Like, I don't agree with that at all. 
how did you get there? When did you start believing this? What, like, can you explain it to me? You never know that if you choose to treat a, another human being with dignity and as a human and not as an ideologue, you never know what the end result is. You don't know. I mean, you might know. They might come back and be like, hey, because I didn't know that that was happening as it was happening. Yeah, I, yeah. And I feel that that happens a lot of times when there is mis misinformation or lack of education, of understanding with people. But I empathy. mean, empathy, yeah. But, you know, we, we, we could go on and on about yeah. that. <laughs> but I think that's a great way to end end this this, this oh, interview. I, job, I, I yeah. can't thank you enough. I, I think that this is an important conversation, especially nowadays. I, I Obviously, the work that you guys do is extremely important. But these are the tough conversations that we have to have nowadays because of where we are. And so listeners, I can't thank you enough. Um, you know, please feel free to go to the website, freeradicals.org. Um, there's information. We're also on Facebook. They're also on Facebook. Um, are any other social media platforms that, that you guys are currently on? Um, we're not yet. They're eventually here in the next couple of weeks. We'll have an Instagram going, and uh, but Christian and I both have individual Instagram accounts. He has a Twitter account. I was gonna say, can um, you please get on Twitter because Twitter feels like it just needs you guys there. Yes, Twitter he's needs there, you. But yes. I'm just like. You know, I'm just like, everyone has their, like, job to do. I, and like, I'm just kind of like, if I do that, like, I won't do anything else. I'll get, you know, like, I, I'm like, uh, trying to maintain hope is my top priority. Just, Twitter say, is the antithesis of uh, holding hope. Twitter's so just vitriolic. It's just so... I know, wouldn't we should just shut it down. Can't we, like, crash their servers? It's amazing <laughs> how much meanness really they can put in 140 characters. Like... It's terrible. Right? But, I mean, now y'all have interviewed me, so you know that the whole, like, limited character thing, like, no way. Like, there's no... I'm so verbose. There's no... <laughs> there's no way. No, but there's times that being brief is good, and there's times that not being brief is, and even, is even better. So, and this is definitely one of the situations. So, again, Shannon, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We can't thank you enough. Yes, absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so much for having me. And if there's anything I can ever do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Well, likewise, you. on our end as well. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. All right. Well, that was a... Wow, that was... That, that no. was it was a great interview. I mean, it was heavy. I think, you know, throughout she was very, there were moments of levity, you know, where we joked right. and things like that. But again, to what I said earlier, I think it's it's important to note that you shouldn't just always write somebody off. Right. There's always redemption. Yeah. And There's always redemption. Not for everybody, but, you know. Not for everybody, but, I mean. But give it a shot. Most people are worth the opportunity. Yes. And, and they're definitely... You know, because they were, they were in the, they were really out there. They were, pretty, they were pretty deep into it. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. And now she's it, married to a Hispanic. Yeah, Vite. <laughs> how the world works. It's soda time. It is soda time. So our last Coke of the desert. Yes. La última gorgola del desierto, which now has become. I, th I feel it's become like our our thing now. Well, of course it's our thing. That's what we wanted to happen. So I'm gonna lighten it up. All right, lighten it up. And I, my I, last... I think you're gonna like mine. Oh, I think you're going to like mine, too. Okay. My Last Coke of the Desert goes to the new version of Magnum P.I. Oh, you saw it this week? I saw it because okay. I like Jay Martinez. I do, too. He does, he, I, there's something about him agradable. Just like I, I... 
Jay, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the yeah, show. Yeah, you know, you know, he's Mexican American. Yeah, he's one of these people that I've, I've always liked him, and he's I always feel, been there. He, he he's a little bit of a teaser. Like he'll be in a movie. Like he was in that Bad Mothers, Bad Moms. Yes, Bad Moms movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll pop up here and there, and it's like, you always enjoy him. Yeah, and when every yeah. time he comes up, it's like, oh, it's G Martinez, you know. <laughs> and anyway, he's Magnum PI, and you, you know what I liked about the show? Obviously, it's it's modern, so it, right. a lot of it. You know, there's modern technology, like obviously your cell phones and yeah, GPS yeah. and satellites and all that. But it's still very much the Magnum. original Magnum. You know, the helicopter looks the same. Oh, it, really? He has the original Ferrari. It's the original? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't well, know if it's but the it original, like it. but it it's like, it's okay. like the okay. Ferrari from the 80s. And I thought the show was fun. And you know what? And I have to say that... You know, something they say about television now is that we're in the golden age of television, yes. which I agree. I think that the television programming now is, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, the quality and the storytelling is great. But the flip side to that is that, you know, these shows like Game of Thrones, Handmaid's right. Tale, they're so heavy. Yeah. And yes, they're amazing, but they're so heavy. I mean, Talk about the Free Radicals project. Yeah. I mean, this is like heavy TV watching that at the end of the world, you know, at the end of the show, you're like, okay, the world is coming to an end. And, and they, you know, there's so much prolonging and, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I think it's American television because we love our 20 plus episodes of a season. Yes. So I think there's something to be said about a nice show that's fun, you know, a little bit of action. And in, at the end of the hour, it's over. It's in an done. hour, it's done. It's done. You don't have to think about it. It's it's done. You know, next week, I'll watch the new episode, but I'm not there sitting like, what is Magnum going to do in the He's next episode? always going to win. Right. It's Exactly. <laughs> you know somehow... Right. You know he's gonna make it through. <laughs> so you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's in um, it's on CBS yeah. on Monday nights. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a kid of the '80s, you'll love that. As I said, uh, Jay Martinez is in it. Um, it's a great cast. They switched it up a little bit, um, but it was fun. So that's my last Coke of the Desert oh. to Magnum PI, the new Magnum PI. Oh, there you go. Oh, my... and he and he did not bring the mustache. He brought the goatee. But is he still wearing Hawaiian shirts? Not in the first episode, but he will in subsequent okay. episodes. Right. He he, they, he got asked that question a lot. Okay. So keeping on that theme, actually, mine also goes to something 80s related or someone 80s related. My last soda of the desert goes to Paula Abdul. <gasps> oh, wow. well, okay, what took you 34 <laughs> episodes to give Paula Abdul your last co- I, I will tell you. <gasps> a couple weeks ago, she was on James Corden. Uh-huh. And she performed straight up, and it was a great performance. I mean, she uh-huh. did you see it? Or? Yes. Yeah. Well, because it was in support of the fact that she was launching a 25-city tour. It's called Straight Up Paula. Unfortunately, Homegirl is not coming to South Florida, mm. or Florida at all, because we could have driven to Orlando. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Paula Abdul's going on tour, and she's mm-hmm. just, you know, she's Paula. She's still mm-hmm. she's still rocking the choreography. She's, you know, she hasn't lost any of it. There's just something about her that she always seemed just perpetually just happy to be at the yeah. party. Yeah, she's you know, a happy like girl. She, she never tried to be more than what she was. Right. She understood her role in pop culture. Right. And I embrace her for it. So right. my last soda of the desert goes to Paula Abdul and you know for what? I, being forever my girl. And she's forever one of my girls, too. Because you know what? Her music is now, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And I think that her music has aged really well. Yeah. Because if Generally you hear, speaking. If you hear Straight Up, Straight Up is still a great song. I would almost say that her first album has aged better than her second. 
Mm. Yeah, because her her second album is more New Jack Swing, yeah. which was very 1991-1992. But even Rush Rush, which is from the second album, that's a great little song. And Blowing Kisses in the Wind and... um, Vibology. I'm sorry. um, I I will stand by that. What's the one of the grassy field... um, where she Promise stretched. Of a new day. Promise of a new day. <laughs> Where she stretched. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. We, how do? Yeah, thirty-four episodes in, and how did we? Because she had to go on tour. Oh, but where, what's the closest city she's coming to? I don't even think she's coming to Georgia. I mean, well, she's, it, yeah, you know what it is. Georgia's our neighbor state, but that means nothing to us because that's still Atlanta's like a twelve-hour drive. Oh, so. so we fly to New York. <laughs> It's about the same time. <laughs> no, I would see Paula in L.A. Because oh, she's a Laker girl. That's true. Yeah, that's like true. she's not from New York, so no. she's not very New York. So Jay Martin and Magnum P.I. and Paula oh, both from the 80s. Uh, don't say. Actually, you know what? I'm going to leave you with something else of Magnum P.I. that actually you would enjoy. And to our <laughs> listeners, if you watch it. I think it's funny you picked Magnum P.I. because my mother thinks Tom Selleck is so sexy. I, th- I think it's so funny that there were so many women that were like, well, he was a heartthrob. She kind of says that that's why she, she like married my father. <laughs> she just like, kind of looked like Tom Selleck. <laughs> um, now you need to put a picture of your dad and Tom Selleck. Yes. Um, there's a scene which I thought was hilarious where um, he comes out without a shirt mm-hmm. and he's been out of the shower. And, um, you know, that's supposed to be the scene where the you show scene. the right. sexy Magnum yeah. P.I., you know, come out and he's in a towel. You know, he's covering yeah. himself with a towel. But what I think is hilarious is that he is dripping wet. Like, like he just got out of the like, shower. Like, they un cubo de agua. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, he literally was dripping. Like, right, he was right, dripping. Right. And I'm thinking, like, didn't production see this? And then, you know, that's the moment that he gets a phone call that something right, had right. happened and he puts on his shirt. And I'm thinking, like, you put on your shirt and you are empapado. Like, <laughs> like it, it wasn't that, you know, in movies, like, when people are wet. They have, you like, know, a glow. They have, like, a glow, right. that moist but not wet right, look, right, you know, right. that's supposed to be sexy. No, 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 no. He was, like, the tiraron un cubo de agua. And I'm like, you can't put on your shirt like that. Like, <laughs> that's, like, what I you need to watch it. You'll you'll get a kick out of that. So that's awesome. Anyway, what else, everybody? Um, that was episode thirty-four, and we hope, yeah. as always, you lif- listened, laughed, and learned. I know this was a bit of a heavier episode, but we kind of ended in a light note, as we do. So remember to get grab your croqueta, your pastelito, and your jupinha, and we hope you have a great day. Yep. And don't forget to subscribe across all the various platforms. Check us out on social media: Instagram, Facebook, and if you got iTunes, leave us a review. It helps us get found on the search yes sir bueno thank you everybody bye hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.